Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a great lineup for you. We've got a lot of information and education, and we're going to be answering some questions. And, of course, if you've got a question for us, you can send it to our text line, JIM, to 901-683-0989. Or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Today, we've got Mr. Pullman, Greg Pullman, the CPA. He's going to give us some tips about tax strategies that you've got to finish year end. Shannon Dyson's going to be talking more about this thing that he's had. He's been kind of gearing a dialogue with us about called Rosetta, Health Rosetta. But we've got the professor with us today from the Better Business Bureau, Mr. Daniel Irwin. He's going to take us back to scam school and uh, it's going to be about shopping safe, shopping smart and watch out for the holiday season. That's in the last part of the program. So you'll definitely want to stay with us through that. But first, let me welcome to the program, Mr. Greg Pullman, CPA. With Scott Pullman, CPA's firms here in the city, I'm glad you're with us today because there's so many things. And, you know, people have a tendency to procrastinate. I'm doing do the planning and all of a sudden I realize now it's January the 2nd and I didn't get all the things done. So I really want you to kind of guide us through what are some strategies for there's two kinds of people today when you talk about tax preparers. They got the non-itemizers and, and the itemizers. So what would a non-itemizer do when you talk about strategies for year end? Well, Jim, basically, um, as you know, the itemized deductions rates are very high, and there's very few people that itemize. And so the, the, the only thing that you can do now is if you're over 70 and a half and you have required minimum distributions, you can go ahead and do a qualified charitable distribution. Um, that way you get the deduction. It's not taxable to you. It goes off the bottom of off your taxable income. And that can also affect um, how your social security is being taxed and your Medicare expenses. So all that's part high. of that calculation you talk about. So now when you say it's taking that qualified or that, that qualified distribution that you would normally do, the, the one that you've got to do, the required minimum distribution, is that what you're talking right. about? Exactly. From your IRA. Right. So a person can say, instead of me taking it as income, I can now say, okay, it's December. I'm going to give my tithe or my gift or whatever it is to the church or to your favorite charity. I can do that to do, you know, to get a deduction. And for a non-itemizer, that still qualifies. Right. Absolutely. And so, well, that's a good part about that is it's qualified charitable contribution. You don't receive it as income. But it is going, you know, in other words, it's a deduction and you get that benefit, but you're not really having to pay the income taxes on it because it's never coming to you. It goes straight to the charity. That's exactly right. Well, that's that's a big deal for a non-itemizer. So, right. so um, do you, you said, I'm kind of shocked when you said most people are non-itemizers. They're just not uh, doing the itemization because they it, the number's high enough that they don't have to. Yeah, the standard deduction for, for married couples is $25,900. So... Unless you, unless you are charitably inclined or you have a big house note, uh, chances are real good you're not going to hit that 25-9 number. All right. That's um, good to know. That's really good to know. So most people could just go in, 
do their taxes and not have to do not have to could not have to do the itemization because that's kind of terrible so tough for some people right it's difficult and it's 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 easy um to do and okay all right, so now let's move to those that do itemize, and and, okay. and I happen to be one of those, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, just to be a full disclosure, Mr. Pullman is my accountant, does a fabulous job for me, and uh, it, you know, and I am one of those that, for some reason, he doesn't say I'm a simple return. I guess uh, complicated. Would you? Would you? Can I say that? Should I say that? Or should I not say? Well, that? that's up to you. I can't really tell <laughs> what, what it is or not. You know, I gotcha. That's, I that's like your it. deal, not that's mine. That's not true. I that's love right. it. That's good. All right. Well, okay. Let's go to those people that are itemizing. And uh, so you're saying if your adjusted gross income is, and again, fifty thousand or greater, is that what you're saying? For the adjusted gross? Yeah. No, no, no. Your itemized deductions. Okay, itemized deductions is is greater than twenty. Twenty-five nine. Okay. If you're married, you can itemize every year. Um, a lot of times, there's a lot of people out there that they're every year they itemize and their 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 itemized deductions are somewhere around twenty-two thousand ah. dollars. So every year they get twenty-five thousand. Um, there's a strategy that we use. It's called bunching. Okay. And to give you an example, let's say you're used to giving $12,000 in charitable contributions okay. every year and your itemized deductions are $22,000 every year because you got mortgage interest and, you know, um, taxes and whatnot. What we suggest is that um, for your charities, you would double up, you would bunch your charities. So you would give $24,000 in year one and zero in year two. So in year one, you would actually get to itemize. You mm. would be probably, I'm just guessing, $36,000 of itemized deductions. Next year, you get twenty five. All right, so, so let's suppose you're, you're close. You're close this year in your normal, what you would normally itemize, and you realize you're close. This is the planning part that we're talking about. Right. So if I'm close and I know that next year, January, February, March, I'm going to be doing this, now would be the time to put the money together to maximize, to get that as much as you can above that so that you're taking advantage. And next year, you might not be. You just take the standard deduction. Exactly. If you've got a big donation coming up, a building fund or some something that you've pledged to, um, and maybe it's a three or four year plan, you may want to consider paying all that out. That's because a, that's you'll a good get, point. You know, you'll get um, a much bigger bang for your buck, if you will. So, all right, itemize non-itemizers, and uh, it can be uh, it can be a strategy that you just need to pay attention to. Think about it, what you're doing. Now's the time to do that. Not wait until, and I like the idea of bunching. So let's talk about what happens with, I know the tax benefits with children, families with children, has changed. It's uh, it's reverted back to an older number. Talk about that. That's true. Um, in, in 2021, with with all the the COVID issues and everything, they tried to, to get more money to the families. And the there were tax credits of $3,600 for kids under five years old. And it was three thousand for kids from six to seventeen. Um, back in in twenty two, they went back to what it was originally, and and the credit stops at two thousand dollars per child now, and it's only for children up to sixteen years old. So the change, help me with that again. So say go through that again with me. What was it? The change. What the change is? It was thirty six hundred dollars for kids under five. Okay, and. It was three thousand dollars for kids from six to sixteen. Okay. Now it is just two thousand dollars per child. Period. Up to sixteen. Up yes. to sixteen. Right. So that's a pretty good change for some people. That's a big change, and I think that might affect their refunds. 
this year. Yeah, then that that's something people need to be planning for and thinking about. From Absolutely. That, yeah, that's a critical thought for simple. Let me ask you a question. We had someone asked asked me recently. Um, their employer. Now that we're talking about taxes, and and I and I know I kind of mentioned this to you earlier. Um, this employer had not been paying their federal income tax on a monthly basis. In other words, not withholding FIT. Now, FICO, they were paying FICO, which is Social Security, and those, but not FIT. Is, is that a problem for this individual? Now, obviously, they've had no federal income tax withheld, and now it's time to plan. Are they going to get penalized coming in when they file their tax returns? Because it's a married couple. And this person has had zero taxes taken out. And so could the IRS come in and say you haven't been, you know, paying anything in? Is that a possibility? There's a possibility. Um, the penalties exist if you haven't paid in at least what you paid in last year. Um, that was where the penalties will come in or 90% of the tax that you owe this year. Um, she, the the taxpayer probably needs to go to their employer and ask them to change their form. Yeah. There's a W-4 form that they'll have to change and and make sure they start getting taxes taken out. And if this time it's too late for this year, if they've not taken any taxes out for this year, and now it's kind of, I mean. She's just, they're just, just going to have to plan for plan to owing make, tax April 15th. Yeah, owing tax Sounds April 15th like. and maybe possibly a penalty. Uh, yes, yeah, maybe a penalty. Wow, that's a that's a that's a. Are you why would somebody not withhold? I mean, was there? Can you think of a reason why? Somebody? You know, the, the, each employee is supposed to file a W four. Okay, and if they filed it incorrectly, it could happen. Um, it could be that the payroll department just just missed it. Did it incorrectly. Wow. That's a, that's a real issue for some people. Yeah. So, all right, we've covered itemizing. We've covered non-itemizing. We've covered children. The, the benefits have changed. The tax benefits for family with children. And just keep in mind, guys, it's lower than it was this time last year. And so you may end up having to pay more taxes than what you had planned for because that child deduction, is that, can I say it that way, that child credit, that child bottom line is it was a savings, the tax savings, has gone away. Some of it, not all of it, but some of it. That's right. So they need a plan. This is a planning process of getting, doing it now before you come up to April the 14th and trying to write that check at midnight. That's correct. <laughs> That's, all. That's correct. Nobody's ever done that. No. I, you know, nobody's ever never, done that. Never. Well, what about child care when you're talking about, you know, there's a, you know, education for a family if they have children is a major expense. All right. So what about tax benefits from an education standpoint? Well, we have uh, a few items that we can talk about. Um, <clears throat> as you as you know, um, for years they've had some education tax credits for um, college kids. And there's the American Opportunity Tax Credit, which is for kids that have been in school for four, for four years. And that credit... Uh, is up to $2,500 a year, and it is a refundable credit. So that's a good thing. That's a credit. Now, let's let's talk about that for just a second. I don't mean to interrupt you, but the reality, credit versus a deduction. Okay, well, credit is basically you receive it after your taxes are calculated. So it reduces your taxes. Okay. A deduction reduces your income. Right. It's a big difference. You'd rather have a credit More than a More credit tax. versus a tax deduction. Absolutely. All right, just Absolutely. write that down, folks. You're just listening now. This is Mr. Greg Pullman, CPA, and he's given us, that's a pretty thing important. If you can get a credit, it's more important to get a credit than a tax deduction. 
I think most people know that, but sometimes we just forget. You right. know, taking That's a credit's right. important. Right. The other type of credits you can get is a lifetime learning credit is for students that have already had four years of, of higher education. They then get a lifetime learning credit, which is could do as long as you're in school. And uh, it, it qualifies up to $2,000. So if year, I'm going to go to tuition and I'm going to take an online course or I'm going to go to a college, Memphis, University of Memphis or something like that, uh, I've got a degree, so but I want to go back to education. I want to go back to learning. I'm allowed a 2000 credit. To you are, but remember, I have not mentioned this. Oh. They're all subject to income limitations. <laughs> Well, that could that be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might yeah. be an issue on All some right, people. Might be an issue. I hear you. I understand that. So keep in mind, before you start taking something, check it out with a qualified accountant and uh, make sure that you know that you're doing it correctly. All right, big subject, and a big subject because so many people have sold homes or, you know, this past two, three years, but this, this you know, even up through this year, a lot of people sold their homes. What about the tax on home sales? Well, if you've lived in your home for two of the last five years and you're married, you have up to a $500,000 exclusion on any gain that you made on that house. If you're single, it's $250,000 if you've lived in the house two to five years. Now, if you've made more than $500,000 on the house, congratulations. And you'll just have to pay the income tax on the gain in excess of $500,000. Now that's that's across the board. That's eating. that's everybody. Everybody. So mm-hmm. now let's go through that again. I, you know, some people I've had say to me, "Well, you know, I sold a house that was seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars." Okay, um, my gain. But what they have to understand when you say gain, it's not a gain of seven hundred fifty. It was what what was the house? Did you buy it for? Correct. You say what I'm saying. I think right. people need to keep in mind. Don't just say, "Okay, I sold it for five hundred thousand." I told it for six hundred thousand, so I got to pay a gain over the hundred. What did you pay for it? Is that basis, and so gain is anything above basis. Is right. That what you, okay. And 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 that basis also includes any improvements that you made on that house. So make sure you include all that. So if you're thinking about that, and you got to do your tax planning, and you did a porch, or you did a you know a, maybe you remodeled a room or something, go back and find those records of what you paid for that, and that's part of your basis. Absolutely. Well, that's so critical for people to think about because sometimes we don't do that. We forget, you know, and so it's a matter if you're doing some remodeling and you've a lot of people have done remodeling in the last 36 months. uh, Make sure you keep those records, because if you do sell the home in the future, you've got the records to say this is a part of the basis. Right. Exactly. It's better to keep up with it annually than try to go back in five or 10 years and figure that out. Well, no kidding. And that uh, so many people forget that. Greg, you always do a great job for us, sir. You uh, you are an excellent CPA because you break the news to me gently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always, you know, the, she, Francis says, well, Greg's on the phone. I ain't taking the call. Today. <laughs> no, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much, sir. You brought some great information talking about non-item that also understanding what it is that you, if you are going to itemize and what's the benefits for families with children, that's important. And of course, man, I tell you, this this education and major expense for parents, and we talked about that and some you know, the idea of a credit versus a tax deduction, sir. Thank you so much for being with us. You bet. Always appreciate to hear from you. 
we'll get you back on a, by time for tax season when we get to start paying when I, when I won't be able to talk to you when you're so busy. You. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Well, you know, I want to move quickly to Mr. Shannon Dyson because Shannon's with us today and he always does a fabulous job talking about a subject called health care that we're all spending money on. And it's important that we get into this because Shannon... Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be back. You know, the whole thought process, when we talk about planning, and we do that on this show a lot, there's a whole movement to go in the healthcare industry from self-funded or fully insured, you might say, to self-funded. Now, let's, I want you to describe fully insured and self-funded right at the start. So as we discuss it, it's something we all understand. Yeah, I'd say most employers uh, in the 100, under 100 employee space are what we would call fully insured. And fully insured uh, health plan uh, basically means that you as the employer, you pay a premium every month to the health insurance company. Uh, And then if your employees have claims, the insurance company pays all the claims. Uh, You don't see that. You don't have to think about the the claims that are being paid. You just pay a monthly premium uh, and you're done as an employer. That's that's a fully insured model. But now, so you you pay the premium, Mm The insurance company is going to reimburse the employee for any health care within the deductibles and the co-pays and all that stuff. And so that takes any concerns, you might say, from the employer, fully insured. Takes any risk away from the employer. They know that once that premium is paid, uh, they have a 12-month period of time where their rates are guaranteed. Uh, Each employee has the the guaranteed rates for the 12-month period. And then at the end of that 12 month, they're going to get a a notice that says, here's your rate increase. Um, And then if you agree to it, then you pay the premiums for the next year. And same thing. Insurance company pays all the claims and there's no risk. All right. Now, self-funded, you know, there's some that sounds pretty good to some degree, except explain it so that we can understand it. That's what I want to talk about. Self-funded. Right. With self-funding, an employer will then take on some of that risk. Uh, how much of that risk would be determined based on a, a lot of factors. But with the self-funding model, the employer is saying, uh, I would like to take on some of the risk. And so uh, as part of our employee benefits package, the employer, myself, we're going to take on some of those claims. Uh, then, then it's a matter of determining how much um, and determining uh, what limits that you're, that you're comfortable with as an employer. All right. If I'm thinking through this process, you you, you know, and I've got a hundred employees. You said a hundred. Normally, that's that sounds to me like something that could bother me six months into this plan when two of my employees come down with cancer or something like that. All of a sudden, if I'm self-funded, I could end up paying a lot of money. Does that make sense? Am I saying that right? Sure. I think that's the the one of the major concerns that uh, an employer would start with. What about the major conditions? Um, And just a minute ago, I mentioned that you're taking on some of the risk as an employer. Part of the equation on how much risk uh, is what is your, how tolerant are you of risk? And so if you are worried about large claims, um, you can always, what we would always do is pick up some sort of stop loss insurance. And what stop loss insurance is, it picks up the large claims. So what, where does that number start? I don't know. That depends on previous claims and that that employer's risk for tolerance. All right, I want to talk more about that when we come back after the break because there's some objectives that I think you've talked about before that I think every employer needs to understand. These certain objectives that, you know, when you're doing the, 
you, you, you're accomplishing some objectives that a person can really identify when they're making this move. And that's critical. And then I want to dive into that risk tolerance, too, because that's got to be something that's everybody's mind. If you have questions, you can send them to Jim, J-I-M. That's 901-683-0989. Or you can send them to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. And, of course, you can find the show. If you miss part of the show today, you can find it at Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe to the podcast. Coming up, we're going to continue our discussion with Shannon Dyson on self-funded versus uh, being fully insured and what are some of those objectives and what is the risk with self-funding. We're going to make sure we define that. And we've got the professor today. We can't wait to let him take us to scam school and walk us through all the issues that go on. I mean, it's just turn the mic on and we can leave the studio. This man's full of information. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Financial professionals do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Greg Pullman or Scott and Pullman PC or Daniel Irwin and the Better Business Bureau. The views and opinions expressed are those of Greg Pullman and Daniel Irwin only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I appreciate you being with us this morning. And uh, thank you so much for just being a regular listener. And for those that have just joined us for the first time, we so much appreciate this. This is, of course, Talk Money. We're talking with Greg Pullman, CPA, and Shannon Dyson. And, of course, Daniel Irwin coming up from the Better Business Bureau. We're talking with Shannon about being fully insured or self-funded as an employer. So, Shannon, as we talk about it, there's a, that big question is the big why. Well, it, Jim, it's all about controlling employer health care costs. And uh, when an employer is trying to make the decision to move from fully insured to self-funded, uh, one of the reasons is you will actually start getting some data on your claims as a company. Uh, so what types of claims are driving increases from year to year? When you're fully insured, you don't get that information as an employer. Why not? The, the insurance companies will not... Uh, deliver it to you. They won't give it to you. Um, the answers Why vary. Not? Why not? You know, I don't know. I can't answer for them. I wouldn't even try. Actually, I probably know, but I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> uh, but they just won't give you the information. Uh, once you become self-funded, that information is available because you as the employer are paying the claims. Now, you're not personally paying, and we can talk about that if you want to, but um, you get the data. And if you're wanting to control health care costs, how can you control healthcare costs if you don't know what's going on within your company? So it's a really a first step is let's get control of data. All right, let's let's let's, let's get control of data. So now that I understand that, so if I fully insured, 
you said it a while ago, I'm fully insured and I go for so long and I, every year I get a little bit of a rate increase, sometimes bigger than others, sometimes maybe, uh, you know, one that just said, oh, 3%, no big deal. Next week, next time it, it's 23% or something. So when you're saying that I'm fully insured, I expect that when I am self-insured, I can control that. When you're self-insured, you can work towards controlling it. Obviously, you cannot control the health of your of your employees. You can't control who's getting sick, who's not. Uh, but you then know what's going on, and there are steps that you can take in each area of that to start controlling those costs. When you're fully insured, you're at the mercy of the insurance carrier from every 12-month period. Why did I get the increase? I don't know. You're, you're you know, using a term, though, that I think most employers would want to have to be able to use, and that's control. Absolutely. If they can Planning, manage through that. control, strategic yeah, plans. Absolutely. I mean, those are things you can't do with fully insured plans that you can do with self-funded. I think that's I think that's a key for, for the why. It gives yeah. you some control. What are some other reasons? So for, for an employer who's saying, you know, I'd like to be able to, instead of not knowing from year to year what my increase is, can I plan three to five years in the future? And so you say, okay, how do we do that? Uh, well, we look and see what's going on. A lot of times your employees are using the emergency room when they shouldn't be. Uh, that's one area that we can look at. One of the big things we've talked about on this show before uh, is the pharmacy benefit. And so when you're a fully insured plan, your pharmacy is wrapped in with your health plan. When you move to a self-insured plan, you can actually carve out the pharmacy benefit. Um, and there's these things called manufacturer's rebates. Okay, stop right there. All right. Now I want you to listen to me real carefully. This, what he's about to tell you, is going to kind of knock your socks off. So uh, we've heard this before. You've heard it before. We know you're listening. And this is important for any employer listening or people that are able to talk to their employer. You need to hear what he's going to talk about, these pharmacy rebates. I mean, that, that just when you first told me that, Shannon, I have to admit to you, I went, rebate? That just didn't sound right. But it's a fact. Yeah. If you, if you call me and talk to me privately, I'll tell you some in interesting stories about rebates that I won't mention here. But <laughs> whether you're self-funded or fully insured, if your pharmacy plan is not carved out, um, and most fully insured carriers will not let you carve it out. But once you get that carve out plan, um, there are manufacturers rebates for certain prescription drugs, uh, mainly your more expensive brand name drugs, or maybe not even all that expensive. They're just different brand name drugs. Uh, those rebates, if you're fully insured, goes back to the insurance carrier. Uh, it's why many of the carriers today have purchased the pharmacy benefit managers that used to be separate from the plan. Uh, they now own them because there's a lot of money in that. Uh, when you break that out as a self-insured company, uh, you as the employer get those rebates back if you pick a transparent pharmacy benefit manager. Um, and that's, that's what we would select as a pharmacy benefit manager. This is, we are just a pass through. We're going to charge you a fee uh, per month to perform this service for you. But any rebates that we get, they're going to pass through right back to the employer plan. And so that's what you're looking for in, in really all of this um, is transparency and data. I know you talk about one of the biggest benefits, and I've heard you say this before, is the employee experience. Now, I've got a question that's come into us, and I want to ask this question to you. They're, they, all of a sudden, they've been told with the renewal this year that the hospital that this patient, had, employee patient, had been using uh, on a regular basis is now not negotiating with the insurance carrier anymore and they're out. Now, this person's going to have to do something. I mean, they got to completely change. I know another person that literally 
it, if you're doing it this particular hospital, it's not covered. If you go to this down, same hospital at another location, it's paid for. I mean, it's like amazing. That doesn't sound like a very benefit to an employee who's having to manage all that. Help us with that benefit when you're talking about fully insured versus self-insured. Yeah, so it, those, that's a ne- those are all network issues. And so any network that you are in, they all have negotiated rates with providers, negotiated rates with hospitals. And so there's always that back and forth with uh, providers and networks saying, no, we don't agree to that pricing. We're not going to be in your network. And networks saying, well, if you don't agree to this pricing, you can't be in our network. As a matter of fact, there's been a lot of letters and, and, and um, uh, commercial appeal articles and different places where We've, a big insurance carrier in the city has dropped a, a major hospital. And so that happens all the time. With, with self-funding, you don't necessarily get away from all of that. You can. There's a way to have no networks at all. And we, you know, that's something that's, that's further down the line. That's not a flip the switch and make that change next year. Um, but you're always going to have those issues with the networks. You just have to work your way through those. You know, that, that sounds like work your way. So help me now. Let's go to, a, I'm now a self-insured plan and, and I've elected that. So give me the pluses and the minuses, the pros and the cons. So the on the con side, we'll start there. Um, you want to make sure that the experience for your employees uh, is not something that is disruptive. Uh, it, it can be if, if they're used to seeing a major brand on their card when they go to the doctor. Uh, sometimes when you move to self-funding, you, you're able to keep a major brand on the card, but sometimes you're not. Uh, and you want to make sure and prepare your employee base for that. So we always recommend if it's a move that we want to make, let's not pull the trigger at the end of the year and, and surprise our employees with new cards that they don't know what it is. So it's, there's, there's an education process that, that usually is at least six months to a year to let employees know we are going to be making some changes, not to necessarily save money as an, as an employer, but healthcare is expensive and inflation is high. And so we want to make sure that we are making the proper steps to ensure that we're always providing you with the best possible plan and we're saving everybody money, you included. Uh, so I'd say that could be a con if you have to move to a network that's not recognizable. Um, the other uh, benefits obviously are that, man, you mean I can actually look and see um, how much money we spend in, in pharmacy and I can actually see uh, how many um, elective surgeries that we had and, and I can see why are we using that facility? That facility is 50% higher than a facility down the road. Why are we using that one? So, so I you- could actually change facilities, you know, again, now you talk about a patient manager or talk about that because, I mean, all of a sudden you talk about going from one facility to another, but my, but this is the best facility in town and sure they're paying 50, paying 50% more because they're the best. In my humble opinion, uh, long-term, there's no way to be self-funded without some sort of medical manager or uh, nurse navigator uh, taking calls from employees and instructing them on the highest outcome, lowest cost facilities to get their elective procedures done. Oh, say that again. Highest outcome. Highest outcome, lowest cost. Meaning meaning good outcomes. Good outcomes. Yeah, we we don't want necessarily the cheapest uh, uh, amount for a surgery. We want to make sure that the outcomes are the best because if they're not and we're going back and redoing surgeries, that becomes much more expensive down the road. Now, now Shannon, we started out talking about the 100 employee or less, but for the, let's say the 1,000 employees, this is a big deal for them. It, it's huge. And, and most of your 1,000 employer groups are going to be self-funded already. Um, and I mentioned a few minutes ago, you can be self-funded. And if you're not implementing the, the principles of medical managers, if you don't have a, a carve out for your pharmacy, 
um, you're leaving money on the table. There's still ways that you can uh, help your health plan by giving education to your employee base. If, if an employee knows, you know, okay, if I go here, um, it's saving the plan money. And not only that, we don't just wait and say, well, we hope the employees make the right decisions. When we're using medical managers, uh, a normal deductible today is $3,000. And so if, if our in company, we say, hey, you're calling this nurse navigator for any elective surgeries, um, the nurse navigator will say, if you choose this facility, uh, we're going to waive your $3,000 deductible. You will, Mr. Uh, Employee, you will have no deductible if you choose that facility. So we're incentivizing good behavior. Um, and by doing that, we're saving the plan money. You're a definitely an advocate for this move of employers to a self-funded plan. You've been doing this for 20 plus years. So this is not something that, uh, that you're not very sensitive to and very aware of. You've gone out and done an excellent job getting some additional ed- education you're part of a health Rosetta group that's out of Florida. That's really, this is where that movement, but it's really, and I want to go back and say the control to the employee. So in literally a minute, can you kind of summarize this? I mean, just tell me what does that mean control? And you've described the benefits. Yeah. This is a big movement in the industry and it's a game changer. It is. Um, healthcare costs are for, for the length of time I've been in the business, um, there's really no transparency in anything. We don't, you don't know what anything costs. Um, if you don't know what something costs, there's no way to choose a better option. And so transparency in the industry uh, is paramount. There's been a couple of laws that have been passed recently that are, they're trying to get there. Um, unfortunately, they're having somewhat of a, an opposite effect. We can talk about that um, another day. But transparency and knowing what the pricing is, uh, making better decisions, and really for an, for an employer group, the only way to do that is to have access to your claims data. And the only way to have access to your claims data is to become either level funded or self-insured. Um, and that way you can start making better decisions. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer if we have the data, we're going to make the right decisions. Well, that's the key. Having data and having the right data is so, so important. I, I appreciate that you're a, I mean, you're an advocate, no question about it. And so we'll, we'll come back in a month or so because I want to talk some more about this because it's such an important subject. If you'd like to talk to Shannon, telephone number 901-757-5757. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Jim. Well, okay, I'm ready for school. You know, okay, I'm sitting on the front row. The professor is here. Man, it's so good to have you here, Daniel. You always do a great job. And uh, we started calling you the professor months ago, but you were with us, of course, every first first Saturday of every month. And I thank you for that because you always bring us great information. Welcome, sir. Thanks for having me again. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm going to pass today. See, I've got the, I got the notes. I know, how to, I know how to get through it. So let's start off. I mean, this is so big. It's, the, it's that year we talked about Cyber Monday. It's a huge deal. A lot of online shopping. So what are some of the, you know, these scams that you see, purchase scams with online shopping? Yeah, and it's, you know, the holiday season is always unpredictable, and it can be really hard to tell what's real and what's not. So, you know, you, you got to be careful uh, or you'll you'll end up on the naughty list. Uh, you don't you don't want to this, this holiday season. Uh, the riskiest scam for consumers are online purchase scams. Um, specifically, look-alike and fake websites. Online purchase scams are the most common scam reported to the Better Business Bureau, comprising of 40% of wow. all scams that we get 40 percent um yeah and so so uh, this is one of those where it can be really 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 hard uh technology has gotten so good that um it can be hard to tell 
what's real and what's not when it comes to websites. So there are a couple of red flags that you that are just constant that you can always look out for. The first being huge discounts on hot items. Uh, that would be the red flag number one. If you come across a website that you've never heard of before and all, all of a sudden they're selling, and I'm talking like deep discounts, like items that are four, five, six hundred dollars for a hundred dollars. But that same item is not on sale at any major retailer that you, that you go on, major retailers. You have to ask yourself, why is this so cheap? So that would be red flag number one, right? Um, red flag number two, scammer grammar. Uh, uh-huh. You know you it when you see it. Yeah, yeah, you know it. And that's probably the number one thing that you can look out for. And you know it when you see it. It's it's spelling errors or or shoddy grammar or it's it's grammatically correct, but it's not it's not said the way that we say it, right? Because the reason why is most of these fake websites, they originate overseas. And so when they're being written, they're being written by someone who speaks uh, English as maybe a second language or it's being done all through Google Translate. So technically it may be right, but it's not the way that we talk. Right. So that's the number one thing. Look for scammer grammar. The other thing is misplaced or transposed letters in the URL. It's always a scam giveaway, but it's really hard to see because we are so ingrained to shop on our phones, right? So because we're always doing all of our shopping on our phone, on our phones, like I, I do, um, you can't see the full URL and the URL is the website, right? Right. And so it can be really easy to miss. We talk about lookalike websites just because you see a familiar emblem on a website doesn't mean you're on that real website. So make sure you're double checking if you're on your phone, what the URL is. You know, and that's it, a critical point because when you're saying that you're right, most of us do a lot of stuff on our phones and it's just, we, we get in a hurry and we're going through this process. We can take care of it and get it done, and you you, you make the mistake. And I'm going to give a, a prime example. Uh, we've had about 15 reports in the last three weeks from local Memphians who have gotten sideways thinking that they were buying Memphis Grizzlies appear, apparel on a legitimate website. They thought that they were on a, 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 a sponsored, like a real website, right? Um and, and the, the website they thought they were on was the Memphis Grizzlies or the Memphis Grizz online dot shop. But the website they were really on was the M.E.M. Grizz with one Z online dot shop. Boy, so quick. You don't you don't see that. That one Z. But if yep. you compare the two sites. They look the same. Wow. So, so you just have to really be careful. And now how most people get sideways on these on, and get to these fake websites is on social media. So you have to be really, really careful clicking on links on social media. If you see something on social media that looks attractive and you, and you click the link and you go to a site, it's best, especially if it's a retailer that you've never heard of. And even if it is, sometimes do a little due diligence. And instead of going to that site through that link, just go ahead and click and just use your computer and go ahead and type in that full URL, get to it that way. That way, you know that you're on the site that you mean to be on. Um, and then limited or suspicious contact options. For example, if they only have a fill in contact form or if the customer service email is a Gmail account and not a corporate one, that would be a huge red flag. If a business is actually selling goods online, more than likely they're going to have a corporate email address, yeah. right? So anytime you see a Gmail account as the as the contact, 
again, doesn't mean it's a fake site, but you need to do your due diligence. You need it's it's a red flag. And here's a pro tip: we were talking about scammer grammar. If you scroll all the way to the end of a website and you hit the contact us page, and then you scroll down, and it'll show you a phone number and an address. The number one common mistake that these phony websites all make, and again, it's because of Google Translate or something like that, is they always misspell the word address. Always. I look at hundreds of websites every every week just going through trying to figure out what's real and what's not, right? And the number one thing I found is when you're scrolling down, if they misspell the word address, that's 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 a telltale sign um, that it's it's not something you know you want to you and want any a, part of. That's important for you to tell us because again, that's just that simple information mm-hmm. and guiding us through that. I, I would never think about that. That's right. uh, that's perfect. Thank and you. And then sir. you also have to think about ask questions. If the website says it's in Memphis, Tennessee. Tennessee, but it doesn't have a 901 number and it's got a cell phone number in Wisconsin somewhere. Ask yourself, why is the address and the phone number different? Mm. Right. The other thing is, if it's got an address, and again, these are all tips for if it's not a normal retailer, right? It's not a, a retailer that you've heard of. Go ahead and Google that address. Because again, if it's a legitimate business that is selling high end goods at low prices, and then all of a sudden you see an address and you Google that address and it's a field somewhere or it's someone's house. That's a red flag, That's a right? Big red flag. A big red flag. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's one of the most common things we see in 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 these uh, on these websites. So again, one red flag doesn't mean it's a scam, but a bunch of red flags. It's probably something you you want to stay away from. And they can report this to the Better Business Bureau. Tell us how to do that. Yes, it's really important. You can not only report it to us, but you can check things. And all you got to do is go. We have a great tool called Scam Tracker. If you go to our website bbb.org/scamtracker, not only can you report a scam or one of these phony websites to warn others, but you can type in a website and it'll automatically tell you where in, whether anyone across the country has reported this website as being a scam. So it's just a great resource that you can use. What about gift cards? I mean, I know people are buying gift cards now and a lot of that's going on. And I mean, I've done it. I've done it. So, you know, what about a stolen gift card? Yeah. So remember, we always tell you gift cards are for gifts, not payments, right? Right. And a lot of people are like me. They're lazy. They wait till the last minute to oh, buy Don't talk about buy, that. Uh, that's not cards. the purpose of the show. Let's move to something else. <laughs> so just keep in mind that uh, it's not always safe to, drive, to, to buy gift cards. So just a couple key takeaways. Make sure you're sticking when you're buying gift cards last minute. Make sure you're sticking to stores that you know and trust and avoid buying from online auction sites because the cards may be fake or stolen. That also, that, that advice applies for third-party retail sites, right? Um, just make sure you're, you're not, you never know what you're getting when you when you buy from a third-party site. And then make sure you check it out before you buy it. Make sure the protective stickers are on the card and that they do not appear to have been tampered with. This is a big one. Yeah. If I, we were to go in, if we were, you and I were to walk into a big box retailer right now, Jim, I could, we could go to the big, huge aisle where there's all those different kinds of gift cards. And here's what you got to watch out for. Usually the ones on the top, and anybody can go right now and look at this. And I I, I just was at one the other day and check this out. If you go and let's just say there's a hundred gift cards on one little, on one little section. If you pull the top couple out, you'll see that somehow it's been tampered with. Usually it may have been scratched out, but that pin number or that, that seven digit number is on the back. Sometimes 
means it's been scratched with a, you know, because it's got that film on it. Right. Sometimes you can tell that that the packaging has been torn. Sometimes you may see a little bit of tape that's taped that that packaging back on. But the reason that's there is because somebody has 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 gone in and they've they've recorded that number down, right? And so the reason they do that is as soon as that card's been activated, they're going to go in. They've got that number. They're watching from when you activate it. Then they're going to go in and they're going to steal that money from that card. Wow. So that's something that happens all the time. We get reports of it all the time. So it's really simple. I always tell people, if you're going to get a gift card, make sure you get one from the back and make sure that you're looking at it to make sure it's not been tampered with. And then make sure you're keeping your receipt. Um, because let's say that I buy a gift card for you, Jim, and you, you, you know, hey, I, it's, thank you, sir. Yeah. Good. good. And okay. you don't get it till after Christmas. I bought it now. Right. But right. after Christmas, you get it and then you go to use it at a, at a coffee shop or something and there's no money on it. So you call me and you're like, Daniel, why did you give me a, a gift card? No money on it. Well, then I then have that receipt. I can then reach out to that retailer. They're going to be able to pull the time that it was actually taken off and I'll be able to get my money back. It may take a while, but you've got some recourse there. So save the receipt. Save the receipt. You know, there's such more. You've got so much information for us. And I tell you what, we've, we've run out of time, but we'll try to have you because I want to talk about one thing, fake charities. Yeah, that's going on. I mean, Greg talked about charitable giving. If you're itemizing, that's important. So let's see if we can't get you back on next week. And I, I'll work through that to get that done. But guys, I thank you so much for being here. You know, we've got great guests, Greg Pullman, Shannon Dyson, Daniel Irwin. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. This is all great. If you have questions for Daniel, you can call him at 759-1300. That's 759-1300. If you have questions for Greg Pullman, 761-4692. And Shannon, you can reach him at 901-757-5757. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have questions, type them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989, or send them to Talk Money at shoemakerfinancial.com. My guests next week, we got Greg Valliere and Jason Harrington, and we'll have to have Mr. Daniel Orwin coming back. That's Saturday mornings. We thank you for listening at 7 o'clock and Sunday again at 9. And I want to thank my producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, and of course, my compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong and Kimberly Holtus. Thank you again for being a part of the program. We're here to every week to help you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker is a registered representative and investment advisor representative of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.